Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. WCAF Coco Cobras and Five Five Fire Fire. Hey there, Dick Tuggers. You are tuned to the Cobra WCAF Cobras and Fire. I am Baco, and I will be here all night. So let's get to the phones, shall we? Line one caller, talk to Baco. Uh, hello, is is this the radio? You're on the air. Uh, hello, Baco. I've always wanted to tell you something. Talk, tobacco. I just want to say, fuck you, go fuck yourself. All right, yourself. thanks for calling. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see who else on the line. Line two, you're on with Baco. Talk, tobacco. Hey, box, long time listener, first time caller. What can I do for you, my friend? Yeah, I was wondering if uh, you wouldn't mind taking your right hand and uh, go fucking yourself. Okay, must be a full moon out tonight. Let's uh, let's go back to the let's go back to the phone line, shall we? Uh. Caller, you're uh, you're on the air. Talk, talk, tobacco. Am I the ninth caller? Um, ninth caller for what? Go fuck yourself. God damn it!
Welcome to Cobras and Fire. I most definitely am not loose cannon, but I am joined by myself, Baco. Baco, how are you doing, man? I am well. All right, well, we got the uh, formalities out of the way. Loose Cannon's not going to be here. He is off saving the world. And I am here saving rock and roll for the world that he's saving. See, it's kind of a two-man act. He saves the world. I save rock and roll. The world gets rock and roll that I saved for the world that he just saved. Anyway, he's going to be doing that for a little bit. He will return to the podcast once he's done saving the world, which he estimates will be sometime at the beginning of November. Which leaves you with me, and his instructions were, do whatever I want. Well, here's how we typically come up with ideas for the show. Um, well, let me give you kind of an insider look at, at, a, at a typical Cobras and Fire production meeting. Um, imagine me and Luz Cannon um, about 1,800 miles apart um, and texting each other. Uh, but I'm going to verbalize the text and, and, and turn it into like a conversation. And I will use my voice when, I'm, when it's me, and I will use a different voice, and that will be to emulate, you know, it'll be like my imp impression of, of what it's like to talk with Loose Cannon. Um, so it'll be like this, like, uh, Baco, do you got any ideas for the show? Hey, I was thinking we could do it. Now we're going to do something totally different. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, and then I just show up and uh, am charming. So, now uh, all kidding aside, uh, I, I, he does a lot of work, and now I'm doing it. And uh, if, if I blow this, and I can't complain anymore. And if you followed the show at all, you know that complaining is a big thing for me. So, hopefully, I don't fuck this up too bad. So. As far as the theme for uh, the show, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what to call it. I knew what I wanted to do for at least the first one here. Um, and, I, you know, do I want to call it like, uh, bet you haven't heard this or something? You know, everything's got to be named nowadays. You know, I mean, e even like halftime at sporting events has like some stupid, stupid ass name. And, and it's just halftime. And then they, they sponsor it. So what I came up with is this episode is going to be called Digging Deep. And it is brought to you by Oprah's Bunghole. Um, so Digging Deep, brought to you by Oprah's Bunghole. What is that? Um, well, I'm going to feature songs that just aren't basically radio hits. Uh, and some of, it will, some of the, the deep digging will be of bands that uh, don't really get a lot of attention, period. Some of it will be bands that you know of, but these are songs that are basically you know, they're, they're, they're ignored in their set list and on radio. Um, or, you know, there's a couple instances where maybe it was a single that just tanked and, and for, or just didn't get the support it needed. Anyway, before we get into that, uh, I wanted to talk about something I saw this week on social media. A friend of mine posted this picture on Facebook, and it was a picture of a, uh, a, a receipt. And it had, like, you know, that little... Like you would get it at a restaurant in a little spot for the where you want to put the tip for the, the waitress. And underneath that was a second tip line, and it was like tip for the band. And the guy who shared it, uh, his, you know, he was just sharing it for anybody, not, you know, for me particularly. It was just for all. And he's like, huh, kind of an interesting concept. It kind of got me thinking, because this is, you know, for those of you... You may or may not know, I am in a band called Jesus Chrysler, and, and we were founded in 1998, and um, we still exist, you know, in a, in a much lower format, you know, we're working on a record and stuff, we're just, you know, it's, it's not the ball-busting shit it was 15 years ago. Um, all, my, my only point there is that, you know, I've, I, this is a topic that i am obviously got opinions on and, uh, and, and have some knowledge of. And it talks about whether how we pay our musicians and, and how a musician can make a living and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and look, this is a cute idea. I get it. And I'm, I'm definitely not against it. Uh, but can we stop coming up with little knick-knacky things that basically... This is no different than playing on a street with your guitar case open and people throwing money in it. Um, the, the thing is, you know... You're paid to play would be the, the perfect scenario, but there's there's reasons why you're not, and I, and it's it's uncomfortable for musicians to face the fact. And I put it this way: 
there was a guy who invented the first roller coaster. And after that, a bunch of other people took that invention and designed their own roller coasters. And it got more and more extreme in different ways. The point being that the people who create these roller coasters, they, they like doing it too. You know what I mean? It's fun. And there's a reason why guys are in bands and doing it for basically next to nothing is because it's fun. It, it is one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life is being part of a band. There's a camaraderie. It, it, there's so many aspects of it that are great. There's a lot that isn't fun, but you know what? The cool ten typically overshadows it. If Otherwise, you're doing it wrong. But nobody, you know, so to compare it to a waitress and her getting tips or a bartender getting tips, you know, nobody pays money to go to a theme park and be a bartender for a day. They go to ride the roller coaster, okay? And being in a band is the roller coaster. The guy taking the tickets, that's the bartender. You, you... You want to be a, a practicing musician? Yeah, it sucks that we really don't have a musician's union or, or a situation where you can basically just become really good and then join a band and then have regular money. But the reality is the, the system that was set up is kind of a supply and demand thing, and to bitch about it is pretty silly. And to come up with these asinine little things like, hey, how about a tip for the band? How about you just charge a fucking cover charge and give that to the band? How about you give the band a percentage of the alcohol sales? I, you know do things that you know and then as a band you make money by getting people to like you and if people don't like you enough to get in to to spend enough money on alcohol or pay at the door you're just not liked enough that doesn't mean you're not good or you're not talented it just means you don't have a marketable quality to what you do and without that there really isn't a whole lot and to do this thing look like I said, you know, go on a fucking street corner, open your goddamn guitar case. If you want to play for tips, you're going to make more money doing that by yourself than sharing eight bucks with four guys, okay? So, onward and upward, as they say. So, that opening song, by the way, was by a local band here in Minnesota called Hurricane Alice. Off their record, Tear the House Down, which came out, I want to say, 1990, yeah. Anyway, uh, like I said, they're, they're a Minnesota band uh, to a certain extent. I, I believe on this record, only the singer and the bass player, Ian Mayo, were the holdovers from the original Minnesota lineup. I could be wrong on that, but being as there isn't exactly a lot of wiki information on Hurricane Alice, I really can't uh, find that out without going more, into more work than it's worth. But the, good, the, the bass player was the reason I brought that up is... Uh, if you heard, I said his name was Ian Mayo, and he is uh, in the lineage of the Mayo family that started the Mayo Clinic and from in Rochester, Minnesota. So there's just a little uh, a little Hurricane Alice trivia for you. God, I gotta stop doing that. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> Hurricane Alice out of Minnesota with their. Opening track, Wild, Young, and Crazy, off their debut album, Tear the House Down, on Atlantic Records. And it was kind of a nice little favor that they did for you by making Wild, Young, and Crazy the first song on the record. Because that way you don't have to... It's kind of a mercy thing. The rest of the record is basically shit. So, On the Minnesota theme, I thought I'd back it up with another local band. This one goes back to the 80s a little bit. And again, I know we kind of feature new rock, and I'll get to some of that here. But I'm in charge. Loose Cannon left me with the keys, okay? So if you got a problem with how I'm taking it, well, it's kind of his fault if you think about it. I'm saving the world and shit. Anyway, Slave Raider was a band out of the Twin Cities, and they had a little bit of success. Uh, the song I'm going to play is off their debut record, Take the World by Storm, which came out in 1986. They released it on their own record label initially, and then it was re-released and put on CD for the first time right after they signed with BMG Records and they released an album, What Do You Know About Rock and Roll, in 1988. This band never really took off. They were kind of weird. Um, they feature lead singer Chainsaw Kane who has uh, an eye patch over one of his eyes. I don't know if he's missing an eye or if it's just dead or what the deal is. Uh, I just never met the man. Lance Sabin, who is... The godfather to a the best man of my wedding's brother's kid. Trace that back for you. Nikki Wicked, uh, Letitia Ray on bass, and a guy who goes by The Rock on drums. 
So without further ado, we have Minnesota's own Slave Rider off their debut album, Take the World by Storm. This is A Long Way From Home. too bad for some Minnesota boys. Uh, so give it up for Slave Raider. Uh, again, off their debut album, 1986, independently released initially. It was called Take the World by Storm. That song was called Long Way From Home. It was eventually uh, put on a major label record with a little more polish and touch added to the production. And of course, everybody who had the original hated the new one. But uh, anyway, that's off the original release because uh, I hate the new one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm that guy too. Anyway, up next I have um, a very, very talented band that I cannot believe I enjoyed as much as I did because it features members of Fall Out Boy, which basically it, everything I don't like about music, Fall Out Boy kind of embodies. So it was really difficult for me to accept it. The edge was taken off a little bit by you know the, the presence of... Uh, Rob and Scott Ian from Anthrax, uh, but I still wasn't sure, you know what I mean? I had to be convinced, but uh, of course I'm talking about the damn things, and if you aren't familiar with the damn things, well, I can tell you that their debut album, Ironoclast, and actually their only record, was released in 2010, and if you like the music we play here, and if, you know, I mean... I don't even know how to describe it. It was one of the most unique-sounding, fresh-sounding rock records I had heard in so long. And by a band that, you know, of, of, of all accounts, falls into that stupid supergroup label. But it just didn't garner any attention. And that is fucked because it is a fucking phenomenal album from first song to last song. And it features great songwriting, great guitar playing. Probably the weakest part is the vocals. And they're pretty goddamn good. 
I never got to see the band live because they only played festival dates and I didn't go to any of the festivals they were playing. Simple as that. You probably didn't see him either, so fuck you. I'm sorry about that. I lost my temper. I should not have. I should not have gone off like that. We're all here together, right? Brothers and sisters in rock and roll. We need each other, damn it. Just because some of us are better looking and smell better than others doesn't mean that we're not as... Well, we are not as good as the others, but that's... You know what I'm saying, man? We gotta stick together. But back to the damn things. The song is called Little Darlin'. It comes off their only record, which came out in 2010. It was called Ironoclast. After hearing this record, I challenge you not to go out and buy it. If you already got it, I challenge you not to go listen to it. There you go. The first and ever Cobras and Fire Challenge. Anyway, here's the damn things with Little Darlin'. Enjoy. song um, I gotta tell you right now that's the first song in recording this podcast that after I dumped it I had to listen to because I got it just don't you feel happy right now don't you like go oh my god I'm in such a fucking good mood right now and you should go thank you Baco thank you Cobras and Fire and thank you Los Cannon for going out and saving the world so that I can listen to sweet music like the damn things anyway I love that goddamn song. I need to take a shower because it's so fucking good. It is hard to sit still, and I didn't, while listening to that. And hopefully you didn't too. Hopefully you have headphones on and you're jogging somewhere, or or better yet, just 
in your living room and your wife is looking at you going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because that's what I want, people. That's the reaction rock and roll should give you when it's this good. And that's what Digging Deep is all about. It's about digging your fist right up Oprah's ass and pulling out the best rock and roll you can find. And on that note, Black Sabbath in the 80s was pretty much a disaster no matter how you put it. You know, Tony Iommi went through about a half a dozen singers before Tony Martin came into the picture and kind of settled the seat for a while while they released a bunch of records that nobody paid attention to until Ozzy came back to the fold and then the rest is history as we know. But that doesn't mean some of the music wasn't good, okay? I mean, Black Sabbath for me is one of those bands that if I picked a set list, it would be nothing they've ever played. They have so many songs. It was really difficult to pick... A, a it was a, a digging deep brought to you by Oprah's ass track from Black Sabbath because from every era from Ozzy you know Dio Ian Gillen all the weird shit in the 80s but it's 1987's Eternal Idol that I'm going to focus on and pick a song from I love the record it has just a, an excellent collection of of just Sabbathy sounding songs. I mean, it's heavy. It kind of brings their sound a little more modern, um, which I don't think they had done with uh, the. Oh, what was it called? Seventh Star was kind of more of a. I don't know. wasn't even a Sabbath record. And then I thought Born Again. Well, I love it, and I actually love the sound of it. It was kind of a fucking weird sounding record, but it's kind of why I like it, though. I don't know. No, I'm kind of reconsidering. Maybe I should do something off of Born Again, huh? Yeah, and then we can all, like, pretend we're that little red devil baby on the cover. Like, I'm Satan. Anyway, no, I'm sticking with the Eternal Idol. And it uh, it was the last record Black Sabbath did for Warner Brothers. Uh, Warner Brothers kind of just fucked over the whole situation. In 1986, after years of trying to get some kind of lineup of Sabbath together and it eventually getting down to where it's only Tony Iommi in the band, Tony wanted to do a solo record. So he did uh, the Seven Star album with uh, Glenn Hughes singing on it. Anyway, the record company says, no, 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 it's going to be a Black Sabbath. So they insisted on, they basically told Tony Iommi, you don't get to have a solo career. You only get to do Black Sabbath. So they released this very not Black Sabbath sounding record as Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi, as if that makes any fucking sense to anybody. When I see shit like that, I go, what the fuck is wrong with people at these record labels? Do you understand what what your goddamn job is? Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi? What? This isn't fucking Scandal be featuring Patti Smith. And that never made fucking sense to me either. Anyway... The, the record tanks because, well, there's only one original member. It's kind of a confusing title, and it doesn't sound anything like Black Sabbath. So after the album, you know, kind of hits the bottom, and Black Sabbath is as low as they have, they've been. They've had from... They record the record with, with Glenn Hughes. He is too drugged out to do the tour. So after a couple dates, he's replaced by Ray Gillen, who records The Eternal Idol. And then, I don't know, some... I've heard different stories. The, the Eternal Idol is almost like... Uh, um, like Creatures of the Night for Kiss, where you hear all these rumors and stories and speculation, and no one seems to really have a really clear grip on who actually did what. But anyway, Ray Gallen did record the record, and then they were all re-recorded by Tony Morton because Ray Gallen was no longer in the band. Whatever that reason was, I don't know. That's the record that got released. This was released just as Black Sabbath because apparently it makes a lot more fucking sense to release a Black Sabbath album under the name Black Sabbath than instead of Black Sabbath featuring one of the guys. Of course, though, because this is what record companies do, is they spend money, they they force you to go in this direction, and then they refuse to support you. They did no effort to back this record up. It got, I mean, there's no tour support. Everything got plugged in. They basically dropped them the moment this album came out which is a fuck job, and that's how the music industry works. You know, it's like, oh, we have a new boss, and he doesn't like you, so even though we gave you two million bucks, we're going to make sure you fail so we can just get rid of you because he wants to be somebody else. What fucking kind of business model is that? It's like buying a McDonald's and making sure it closes because you like Burger King. Why did you buy a fucking McDonald's if you wanted to own a Burger King? 
On that note, I'd like to introduce you to one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs. And yes, I'm a fan of all of their music. And to me, to make my top five list of Black Sabbath songs would have at least 30 songs on it. And this would be one of them. Off of 1987's The Eternal Idol, I give you The Shining. Rise up, people!
by Black Sabbath off of 1987's Eternal Idol. People, you need to hear this record. It's that good. And I love you. And so when someone says they love you, you're kind of required to go out and buy Black Sabbath Eternal Idol. Uh, Good luck finding it. Uh, Anyway, up next is a band that um, I really don't know a whole lot about. they They were never my band. They're out of New York. They feature the vocals of Corey Clark, I believe is his name. Yeah, Corey Clark, John Rico on guitar, Pete McClanahan on bass guitar, and a gentleman with a lovely and totally forgettable name, Mark Evans on drums. Of course, I'm talking about Warrior Soul. The first time I actually heard about this group and the song I'm going to play they were on tour with Queensryche. I want to say it was on the... What was the record after Operation Mindcrime? Oh, that one with fucking Silent Lucidity. They were on that tour. Empire. They were on the Empire tour. And these guys were opening up for them. And, like, the radio station that, that was hosting it did one of those things like, Yeah, Queensryche, December 24th, and Jeff and the Clark at Target Center. You know, one of those deals. And then, of course, they like... With, with special, you know, they're playing all the little hits of Queensryche, and then they do that one little blurb where they play about two seconds of a song of the opening act. With opening act, wait, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> with with opening act, War Your Soul. And then all of a sudden, they're like, let me in the wasteland. And I don't know, those two seconds stuck with me forever. I didn't actually hear this song until about the late 90s, so almost a decade after it came out. Of course, I'm talking about The Wasteland of a Warrior's Soul 1991 record, Drugs, God, and the New Republic. And God damn it, if you're ever just, oh, just a little lethargic, right? If you ever find yourself like you just can't get motivated to clean your house. You know, it's like you got this big pile of dishes sitting in the sink and they need to be washed. But it's so easy to sit on that couch and watch that Law and Order SVU marathon instead. So, or dial up Netflix and kind of binge out on some, I don't know, fucking Sons of Anarchy or something like that. And you just need a little kick in the ass, something to say, I need to actually do something productive today and and, and not live like a, a fucking weirdo who doesn't have clean dishes. You know what I'm saying? Instead of getting a five-hour energy little shot drink or whatever or overdosing on a fucking four-pack of Monster, just put this fucking song on. And I guarantee by the end of it, you you won't have any dishes left to wash because you'll have fucking broken them in a fit of rock and roll. And my God, people, if that isn't the greatest reason to listen to music is so you don't have to wash the dishes that need to be washed. From 1991's Drugs, God, and the New Republic, this is Warrior Soul with The Wasteland! Tight. 
I don't even have that little bounce off of loose cannon to like get me distracting everything and going on these little tangents that aren't even on topic. I'm controlling the whole thing myself and it's still going to be a two-part episode. I'm only halfway there, people, and uh, I promise the next episode I'm going to touch on stuff a little more current and give you some new music, but hopefully... Up to this point, I've at least given you a taste of some stuff that either you didn't know about or maybe you forgot or maybe you just didn't really give a fair shake. And now that you've heard it with a little bit of my perspective added to it, you're going, you know what, motherfucker? Goddamn Eternal Idol was a totally bomb record, yo. Odds are you don't talk like that. But I'm going to roll with it. All right, to wrap it up tonight, I'm going to touch base with a band that I call Dirty Looks because that's what they're called. This comes off their debut record, Cool From The Wire. Now, they're labeled a little bit of an ACDC copycat, but this is before like the late 90s, early 2000s when that guy in Australia was literally putting together like Jet and Airborne, you know, like, hey, I'm going to be the guy who makes new ACDC music. I get it, because he has a bit of a... He's almost like a... Per, the the singer, Henrik Ostergaard, is like a perfect mix of Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. He has that kind of scratchiness of Brian and that kind of, I don't know, barroom... I don't know how you put it. Uh, almost a... He had this barroom nonchalance to the way he sang. It was like... It was very loose, but yet... It wasn't like the guy couldn't sing. I mean, he was, was... Come on, it's fucking Bon Scott. Of course he could fucking sing. He could sing your fucking dick off. But back to Dirty Looks. Dirty Looks kind of had a, a promising start with their first record, Cool From The Wire. And it, after that, they, they released Turn of the Screw, I think around 89, 90, somewhere in that time. Now, it was kind of the end of the era also, but they, they didn't break with... Uh, cool from the wire like maybe I would think they should have but at least it was a good start the follow up though even for me underwhelmed and then I kind of I lost disconnect with them as they released a bunch of records on pretty much minor labels throughout the 90s and then you know even into the 2000s and I know it was basically Henrik Ostergaard the singer and guitar player and principal songwriter uh, who kind of kept it going with just a, a various host of musicians over the years and eventually, uh, unfortunately, he died in 2011, or, well, don't, don't quote me on the year. I think it was 2011, but I'm pretty sure it was because of some kind of, you know, liver-related issue, which, of course, we all know has got to be tied to drinking, especially when it comes to rock and roll, which is sad. But they really fucking blew the wad on the first record, Cool From The Wire. It was really, really difficult for me to pick one song because I'm telling you, people... As Paul Stanley would say, people, people, he would tell you if he was me in a Paul Stanley voice to go out and buy this record if you haven't heard it. If you already own it, dig it up, dust it off and play it some more and you will just be in a much better place for the rest of your day. From Baco, from Loose Cannon, from Cobras and Fire, I give you Dirty Looks off their debut record, Cool From The Wire. 
This is the last song in the album, and this is going to be the last song on this podcast. I will see you next week, people. This is Get Off! It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.